Bismillahirrahmanirrahim ve sallallahu ala seyyidina Muhammedin ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. Peace and love, y'all. I'm Brother Ali. This is the Traveler's Podcast. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you so much. I wish there was a way for you to really understand how much I appreciate everybody that's part of what we do, everybody that supports it and participates in any way. Like, even if you're just observing what I do, there's this thing on social media where they're like, they're watching you. They're just not liking and sharing, but they're still watching. <laughs> and I'm like, man, just observing, you know, as long as you don't, like, dislike me or something like that, or, like, wish my wish me harm. Because, you know, I, I believe those things do have power. Um, you know, the evil eye is real. And wishing somebody well... There's a power to that, you know, and praying for somebody and then cursing someone and having jealousy and things like that. There's a power to that, too. And um, so, you know, we, we try to stay protected from things like that. Uh, in the Islamic spiritual tradition, we're taught that the, the some of the main ways to be protected from something like that are that when we're praised, we don't just start swimming and basking in that praise. We don't start drinking our own Kool-Aid, believe in our own hype, because that's one way to really also soak up people's hatred. Um, there's a prayer in the Islamic tradition that my dear friend Yasin Bey says all the time. And there are different versions of it, but essentially it's when somebody praises us to turn directly to God, to turn directly to the Creator and say, Oh Allah, forgive me what they for what they don't know about me. Like these people are praising me and all of us who aren't prophets uh we have a side of us that like if they saw that this side if they saw this other side of me uh they wouldn't be praising me uh the idea is that all of the human beings have uh areas of ourselves and of our lives that contradict or are in contrast Uh, or our blind spots, or our weak points. And so they don't line up with the best of who we are. So if the Creator has seen fit that we're being seen in our best picture, then we say, oh Allah, forgive me for what they don't know about me. You know, they're, they're praising me, but they don't know this other side of me. And make me better than they think I am. And there are versions of it that say, make me noble in public, but make me even better in private. And... Um, You know, and make me somebody that's worthy of their praise. Make me better than they think I am is part of that, that one of the iterations of that prayer as well. And that's, that subject is really in line with what I, want to, what I want, think I want to reflect on today. Um, but for those that, you know, wish us well or wish us harm, you know, we, we want to first protect ourselves from having these delusional good opinions of ourselves. You know, it's one thing to recognize that, like, we're created uh, in such a way and we're given such a certain makeup. And so the things that are strengths, like, we want to acknowledge those things as strengths and, we, and we're grateful for them, you know. And then another way to be protected against people's jealousy is to try to find it and fight it in ourselves. Uh, that when there are people that we don't feel good about, either because we're jealous or envious Um, or because they've harmed us or something like that, to try to always be looking for rancor in our own hearts and to be trying to eradicate it, to find, like, who are the people that are difficult for me? You know, um, 
when I mention my spiritual teachers, it's not because I'm trying, hopefully, I mean, you know, my ego is doing all kind of crazy stuff all the time. But I think the best of me is like, I'm, I'm trying to shout these people out and kind of like thank them for trying to help me. Um, so maybe I won't even name them at this moment, but <clears throat> the people came to this spiritual guide and they had all these questions about their lives and sincere people would ask questions like, you know, how do I, how do I stop being jealous or, um, how do I stop doing things in pub in private that if people knew about it, you know, how do I become better in private than I am in public? Cause one of the things that the wise people say is that who you are in private is who you really are, you know? And so a lot of times when we get around, uh, positive people, we can do positive things, uh, which is why it's good to have really good company. But then sometimes we get in private and we do completely contradictory things that like, if someone was watching us, then we wouldn't be doing what we're doing, you know, because it would destroy our reputation or talking the way we're talking. Some people, it's like, if they could hear how we talk to our children or to our spouses or to our parents uh, or, and, or even to ourselves, the way we talk to ourselves, if somebody could hear that, it would be embarrassing, you know. And... Um, when the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was asked about spiritual excellence, he said that would be to behave and to worship as though you can see the divine, as though you can see the creator, as though you can see the most high, the most merciful God. If you could see the creator, you behave like you see the creator. And even if you can't see the creator, to know that the creator is always seeing you. And um, Imam Adi, who I'm named after, the cousin of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he says, if all the veils, you know, there's all these veils in between us and the Creator. He said, even if all the veils were removed, it wouldn't change my relationship with the with God. And this segment is a huge statement, you know. And Imam Ali was a person like that. May Allah ennoble his face and be well pleased with him. Send peace and prayers on the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and all his family, his wives, his children, his descendants, his family. Um, so I was, uh, that's a tangent, um, but I'm, I really love those. But it, for me to say, even if you just look at us and wish us well, Oh, I'm sorry. What I was saying is that this spiritual master, all these people came to this person and they were all asking these questions. And some of them were really great questions. And then some of them are smaller, you know, but he said, just let's, let's ask me all the questions first and then I'll give you the answer. If I, if I can answer anything, I will. <clears throat> so they ask all their questions and it's all sorts of things from like, you know, why can't I keep, why can't I keep up my disciplines of my like, you know, or why, why do I keep doing this ugly thing over and over and over again? And I dislike it and I, I turn back and I repent and I repair. And like, and then after a couple months, I'm just back doing it again. Uh, he's, you know, there are all these type of questions. What do I do about, you know, my sister won't speak to me and I don't know why. Or, uh, you know, some of them are really like heartbreaking, gut-wrenching questions. And then some of them are like, well, what's the best way to memorize the Quran? Or what's the, what, give, give me a prayer so that I can make enough money to support my family without my, you know, for, so my kids don't have to worry about 
you know, it's like all different people from different walks of life. And so the sheikh, the spiritual guide, he hears all the questions. This is a true story. Uh, and it's a recent story that this person is living right now. May Allah preserve them, give them a long life, and give us the ability to benefit from them. He said, the answer to all your questions is the same answer. You have to forgive everybody. And it sounds easy, but it's not. He said you have to, it always comes back to loving and serving. He says you have to love everybody and serve everybody, which sounds to somebody who's never tried to completely do it, it sounds easy, but it's very difficult to genuinely love everybody and then to genuinely serve everybody. And he said the key to it is to genuinely forgive everybody so that there's nobody that you hold any animosity towards. You don't want any revenge from anybody. You don't want anybody to even, to truly forgive somebody if they've wronged us or others, is that you don't even want it to be remembered. Like you would rather forget, you try to, you try to even, you know, not carry an awareness or the story of remember when this happened to me, to truly forgive everybody. Now, to be clear, the Quran says that when a person is oppressed or wronged uh, or an injustice is done to them, they have the right to want justice. They do have that right, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Justice is something that the soul knows. But Allah says what's better for them is if they forgive and if they themselves turn back to God and forgive. So like these people, like you're asking a spiritual master, and so he's saying, the answer to all these questions, the quickest way to achieve all these things that you want, whether it's material or, or you want to practice something better or you want to improve something about yourself or you want to be forgiven or you want to achieve, you've got aspirations, spiritual or whatever kind of aspiration. The answer to all of it, the quickest path to all these things that you're asking me is to forgive everybody. And he said it's very hard to do that, you know, because of the human condition, like, especially when we have the right for something other than that. Like, we have the right to want retribution. We have the right to want acknowledgement. Um, but he says you'll be, you will advance on the path faster with light speed if you can forgive everybody. And so he said well, what do, what do we do about that if we can't? He says, you know, to say that, to basically say to the creator, to say to the divine, to say to Allah, Allah, I'm the master of my tongue. And so I am saying as the master of my tongue, I can move my tongue and say what I want to say. What I'm saying is I forgive everybody. I don't have any claim against anybody. I don't need any retribution or, or any payback from anybody. And the, and the Muslims believe in the, that uh, before uh, our account is even started to be sorted out in the life after this life, all the accounts are sorted out. Like this life that we're in right now is the one where people are, uh, where there's delusion and where there's, um, you know, all sorts of deception and deprivation of right and wrong. And that's to test us to see who we really are. You know, when you can deceive and when you can, you know, be uh, distracted and all this kind of stuff, 
then who who am I? You know, if I can deceive and be distracted and all this kind of stuff, who am I really? If I have a little bit of sovereignty, because being in a weird situation like this, and then struggling with the human condition and all this stuff, this is how I'm going to see who am I when I have the ability to 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 choose, and when I'm the master of my tongue and my eyes and my limbs, what do I do? If I've got a little bit of money, I'm in charge of. What do I do with that money? Because that's going to show me who I really am. That's going to show me the state of my heart. And so if I'm the master of, and I'm in control of um, a social media network what am I, or a platform or an account, you know, what am I going to do with that? And people say claims and they say like, you know, I'm an influencer. Oh, okay. And there's a big number of people. We have to answer to the creator uh, for all of that. Okay. You're an influencer. And you had how many people, followers, they were calling themselves followers. Oh man, that's a huge claim and we got to answer for that. So what did you do with your influence? Did you influence them to buy stuff so that companies would give you money? Or did you influence them, did you tell the truth? What did you do with that influence? And some of them even start to call themselves creators. And I think that's a really, that's scary. You know, it's scary to be called a creator because you know we it's, it's sounds good but then what about when you meet the creator and then the creator's the creator capital t h e capital c r e a t o r the creator al khaliq what happens when we meet that one i say like okay you're creating all right well, what did you create you know and then we look and see and all of the everything comes to light then and all of the, the all the justice and all the compassion and all the mercy and all that stuff happens then and all the truths are told and everything is revealed we believe that there will be a time when everything is revealed and there's no uh you know deception and there's no ability to spin things it's just all going to be what it was and everybody will be accountable for what they did and but before the deeds or before the account starts to be settled between the individual and the creator between us and Allah first all of the rights of all of creation we got to we make that right first so Allah may forgive us for something but we have to try our best to repair with the people that we wronged or the trees that we wronged or the water that we wronged or the air that we wronged or the animals that we wronged and so that's a big deal that's a heavy thing and so the sheikh says you're the master of your tongue so what you say is allah i'm the master of my tongue and what i'm saying is i forgive everyone on the even on the day of of judgment when the debts fall due i don't ask anyone from anything i i release everybody from what they've what they owe me or any right that i have over anybody i release it all that's a big thing to say you don't have to say that you know but these spiritual people they say things that the rest of us would shudder to say uh there's a great woman a saintly woman named rabia and she was known to have made the prayer people overheard her and she was just she talked directly to god out loud and this is one of the highest spiritual states a person can attain she said allah if i'm worshiping you 
because I want the garden, because I want paradise. Now, I am, Ali, I'm not saying this. I'm reporting what this woman, this saintly woman said. She said, Allah, if I'm worshiping you and praising you and obeying you because I want the garden, then make it forbidden for me. Don't let me be in it if, I'm, if, I, if what I want is the garden. And she said, and if I'm obeying you uh, and keeping the, the commands and things because I'm afraid of the fire, then put me in it. She said, only give me these things. Only make this my reality if I'm worshiping you because you deserve to be worshipped. I want to worship you just for you. I praise you. I obey you. I love you. I remember you. I remind people of you. I, you know, I, I want all of my states to conform to complete goodness, which is the reason for your creating me. And only because you're you, not for any other reason. And so if I fall short of that, then don't give me anything because I don't want the garden. I want you. I don't fear the garden. I fear not, or I don't fear the fire. I fear not having you. And that's a huge statement to make. You know, my statement is like, I just want to do good while I'm here. I want to die in a good state and I want to be forgiven for my multitude of mistakes. Those are mine and those are big things to ask for. I'd like to be forgiven, um, you know, and I ask for constant improvement. And, uh, you know, so the, the sheikh in this time was saying, Forgive everybody. So we don't have any claim against anybody else. I'm the master of my tongue, so I'm saying this. Allah, you're the master of my heart. You actually control my heart. We have a prayer that our Prophet Muhammad prayed that says, Ya muqallib al-qulub. Qalb is the heart. Qulub is the plural for the word heart. It's like qa, like a Q sound almost. Qa. We don't have that sound in English. So qalb, qa. And the, like a Q sound and an L sound and a B, qalb. But muqallib uh, means the one who turns. So the word for heart actually has the same kind of root for turning. And that's what hearts do. Hearts turn back and forth. So, you know, for whatever reason, you listening to this, uh, Allah is al-muqallib al-qulub, the turner of hearts. So Allah has turned our hearts towards each other, and that's a beautiful thing. That's a major gift, and that's really all I'm saying with th- when I say thank you for participating the way you do, showing up however you do. Yeah, but uh, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, says, Ya muqallib al-qulub, thabit qalbi ala dinik. Thabit means like make me firm. Qalbi, make heart, make firm qalbi, my heart, ala dinik, on your way. Make me firm for what you love. Make me firm for loving what you love and for opposing what you oppose. Amen. So we're asking Allah to turn our hearts, to make our hearts ones that, that forgive everybody. Um, and that's not easy to do. It's much easier to say than it is to do. And anybody that thinks it's easy has never tried it. You know, if we think about, but but we have to be active in that, seeking it out, like looking for where are the areas in my heart that I am still holding on to someone wronging me or harming me or slighting me, you know. Now, just to be clear, in this time, we live in a very strange time where abuse is rampant. And these are, and there are certain types of abuse 
that are rampant in the societies where we come from, where traditional people, pre-modern people, they couldn't have imagined this. Like they couldn't imagine a person sexually abusing a child. They couldn't imagine that. Like anyone doing that, you know, much less the fact that it would be absolutely rampant. They couldn't imagine people, um, you know, uh, like widespread, these different types of abuse. Um, and when it happened, it was like, it was, it was shocking to people, you know, for, for people to beat their children, like not discipline their children, but for people to abuse their children. And if you don't, you know, some people don't know the difference, but there is a difference. You know, some, some people uh, give their kids papau. <laughs> That's what they call it in Spanish. They give you papau. You know what I mean? There's a difference between that and abusing children. And, you know, and, and for people who say like that, we never want to strike children in any way, that's actually really praiseworthy. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, never, he never struck um, a woman. He never struck a child. Uh, there were servants at that time. Um, and he never struck a servant. He never struck an animal. He never struck anybody like that. Uh, he met oppressors on the battlefield, but even with them, he would say, you can't hit them in the face. Um, you know, and that's why Khabib, the great MMA fighter, he got out of the game. And it sounds funny when he says it because he's just because he's so dope. And he's and also, you know, English is not his first language, but he's like, it's not halal to smash face. <laughs> you cannot smash the face. <laughs> It's like, yeah, that guy will smash your face. So he's like, now I I, I like choke wrestling. Because it's true. I mean, and in Islam, even your enemies that you meet on the battlefield, you're not supposed to hit them in the face. Um, you know, the word jihad is actually a really beautiful term. It's actually a really beautiful concept. And I just saw Imam Omar Suleiman, who's a Palestinian-American imam, who's just such a beautiful man. Uh, I've spoken with him, and he says he's going to come on the podcast, and so we really pray that we can have him sooner than later. He's a really incredible human being. And um, his mother is was Palestinian, and she passed. Allah have mercy on her. And he described, he talks about her like a saintly woman, and he cries when he talks about her. And he's somebody that's lived in America and worked in America. He's a young man. Um, I think he's probably, he might be 40 or maybe he's my age. I think he's a little younger than me. He, so he might barely be 40 or around that age or something. But he's a very handsome man. He's always smiling. He's got a very beautiful smile. And even, he, and he's always stood up for all of these people's causes. Um, you know, he's, been there for the causes of oppressed people in American life and, and uh, throughout the world over and over and over again. Uh, Native people and poor people and working people and people from different faiths. And, um, you know, he went to uh, like synagogues and things when they were being attacked and he uh, personally was was standing guard there and things really very beautiful man and even through this so what's happening in palestine now is profoundly painful to him and this is part of why i would love to talk to him because 
even with the profound pain that he's experiencing and what it must be triggering in him about his beloved mother. Because, you know, he was born in America because his mother was expelled from their homeland. And um, so he says words that are, that are very st straight to the point, but he always does it with a smile and he always does it with immense and intense and sincere love. But he was talking about the fact that, you know, these tools of oppression are that, uh, they change the things that people are saying. You know, you try to control my words. You, you uh, the oppressor tries to control the language of the oppressed. So you say, well, you know, because you don't understand these terms or these phrases or these slogans that are about us surviving and resisting the oppression we're experiencing, you try to turn them against us and you try to redefine the language that we use. So it's the weaponization of language. Uh, and so he was talking about several words and phrases. For example, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar means God is great. And it means that Allah is always in control. And so if, if something is happening that we love, we are reminded Allahu Akbar, Allah is always in control. Allah is writing every moment. And no matter how difficult this moment is, Allah is the one who's writing it. And so... Ultimately, our desire is to be grateful for everything that happens to us. And it doesn't mean that we don't show up in the moment. Um, but it, it also does mean that we, uh, it does also mean that we are, uh, have a deep radical acceptance. Some people call it radical acceptance. But so Allahu Akbar means that, and if so, so if something bad is happening, or if something good is happening, or in, when we pray and all these kind of things, but you know, people only see uh, oppressed people, marginalized people. You know, it's it's like they have to be quiet and they have to be affect. They can have no effect. They can have no power. Um, but if they're fighting us then we're afraid of them. And so that's the moment that we actually notice them. We only notice them if they're hurting us physically. Because other than that, we've controlled them to the point where we don't even have to pay attention to them. We don't know them. We don't know their songs, their stories, their scriptures, their history, their ways, their food, their nuances, their culture. We don't know them. you know, um, And we only acknowledge them when they're hurting us. Which is why when people don't speak about the Palestinians, they talk about the H group, the group that starts with the letter H. And I've known Palestinians for 30 years uh, from all throughout Palestine. And I've never known a single Palestinian person that speaks about that group as though they identify, you know, like that's how we identify or that's our story or that's, you know, that's what we support or that's what we're about. They're talking about their people and their love for their land and the history on their land and the fact that they have taken pride in the fact that they actually protected uh, the Jewish community for centuries from the Christians, that the Muslims take a lot of pride in the fact that they protected uh, the, Jew the Jewish people from oppression. And, you know, speaking, I'm a person who, when I spit in a tube, it said I'm mostly English and German. So, uh, you know, if you want to talk about anti-Semitism, when I spit in the tube, what I found, those are the places where anti-Semitism comes from. 
anti-Semitism doesn't come from the Palestinians. Anti-Semitism is a European, it's a, it's a, a white supremacy problem. It's one of the myriad of white supremacy problems. Uh, and it's actually, you know, and I come from a Christian family, it's actually a Christian problem. Now that type of, that thing within Christianity, uh, Dr. Cornel West and certain other great religious leaders that I love and identify with, they would say that's a bastardization of Christianity. And I would have to say that that's true, anti-Semitism. But in Islam, it's very specifically stated, like we pattern ourselves and try to pattern ourselves after the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And he very specifically was opposed and oppressed in Mecca. And he was invited to the city Yathrib, which became Medina. The Medina, it's, Medina just means city, but Medina to Munawwara, the enlightened city, the city of light. Nur means light. Munawwara means full of light, the beacon of light. And uh, he was invited there. And they said, why don't you bring your new religion here and you can set up shop and we'll protect you. And he said, you know, that, and that city was mostly Jewish. There was very, very, really a lot of Jewish people in that city. And he made a treaty with them and he said, you know, your prophets, your book, your religion is spoken about in the Quran that's being revealed to me. And you will always have your rights. You will always have the right to practice your religion and to have your, your religious places and to have your scripture. Um, it was in Muslim Spain where, uh, you know, so many of the amazing things that the Jewish community has done uh, has happened in Muslim Spain. And this is something that the Muslims have always taken a lot of pride in, that when, especially Christians and Jewish communities, uh, live in lands that are governed by Muslims, that we protect them. And, um, you know, now is there the same... Is there the same thing in our cousin religion? Because these religions are cousins. These Abrahamic faiths are cousins. You know, so as a Muslim, I'll, I, take, I, I'm, I take joy and pride in the fact that we accept Judaism as an authentic religion and their prophets are authentic. And, you know, now we do believe we were, it was revealed in the Quran that there were leaders amongst them, elite amongst them, who changed the scripture to benefit their own purposes. Um, and so that's the point of, that's one of the points of divergence between the two. And then also when Jesus came, Isa alayhi salam and his mother, who the Muslims accept as the Messiah and we accept his mother. So the Jewish community were looking for a Messiah, but when he came and declared himself the Messiah, they said, no, you're not. So that's the point of, you know, the Jewish community stopped accepting. They don't accept him. They're still waiting for the Messiah. And then uh, Jesus, Isa, alayhi salam, peace be upon him, spoke about someone that was to come. And uh, so the Christians, most of them believe that. Most of the Christian theologians say, well, the he was talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, but if you read the language, even in the Bible, it it's... For Muslims, it's like that's clearly talking about Muhammad, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. So, you know, so we accept their prophets and their books. Um, they don't necessarily accept ours. Also, um, the idea of a people being a chosen people uh, 
um, what's talked about in the Quran is that certain people have been given special gifts and so they have special responsibility. But, you know, the, the Quran says that there are those amongst the previous nations or the previous religions, uh, Christianity and Judaism, that believe that they have... Um, that they have an exclusive claim to paradise and to their relationship with God. So the idea that certain Christians have that nobody can, you know, Jesus is the only way and accepting Jesus as your savior and part of the Trinity is the only way to be close to God. And um, there are those in the Jewish community who say, oh, we are the chosen people, everyone else, no one else has the relationship that we have with God. And what's said in the Quran is that I'm sorry, that's your wishful thinking. That's their wishful thinking. Um, and in reality, what, the, what the, the Quran says and what the Muslims believe and what I believe is that everybody is born with an inherent right and an inherent uh, proclivity and leaning to want to know the creator to want to understand the world of meaning and to want to be good and do good and know truth and speak truth and live truthfully and to be good. And we also have the nature, part of our nature in the human condition is that we have an ego that, that wants to pull us towards, that wants to pull us down. And that's always <laughs> threatening us and making us afraid and all this kind of stuff. And so that's the, that's the struggle. We have a spirit, and our spirit is connected to the divine. Our spirit knows the truth. And then we have a heart, the spiritual heart. And the heart, like I said, can turn either way. The heart is deeply impacted by what's taken in. So the, the messages we take in, the music, the sounds, the sights, the smells, the, all of that affect the heart which is why we should try our best to be surrounded with beautiful words and beautiful sounds and beautiful thoughts and beautiful concepts. And some people use the word energy and it's not, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but beautiful energy and good vibes and just, you know, beauty, like we know beauty. When the heart becomes diseased, the hearts can also turn ugly and diseased. And when the hearts become diseased, we start thinking ugly things are beautiful. And we start having a distaste for beautiful things. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I stopped cursing as my default, for example. Because when I think about like, okay, so cursing, the things that we call curse words. And of course, there's some, there's a lot of context in like what's vulgar, what's obscene, what's a curse word, what's not. And so when I start thinking about like these curse words, like what are they actually communicating? You know, a lot of them are about defecating a lot of them are about uh, having loveless sex, like which is basically like objectifying people, um, calling women uh, words for dogs that make it sound like women are just there to be used for sex. Uh, it's an, you know, the B word. It's an ugly word. You know what I mean? Um, to damn, D-A-M-N is a very specific word, but it means to for something to be destroyed, for something to be condemned, you know. And so that's a big word. These these are words that, you know, and in the Islamic tradition we have what we call dhikr, which is almost like a mantra or like a litany that we say, and we say these things over and over and over again. 
Astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. Oh Allah, forgive me. Oh Allah, forgive me. Oh Allah, forgive me. Astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. Subhanallah, subhanallah, subhanallah. Glory be to Allah. Glorify the Creator. Glory be to, like, look at all the glorious things in the world. You know what I mean? All the glory, all the beauty, like just remembering the beauty. You know, alhamdulillah, gratitude. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Thank you, Allah. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Just pouring out gratitude. These are things we say all the time because we want to make those the default setting of our heart. And so what does it do when we just say these these other words all the time? Like, do I want to rewrite my heart to be thinking about defecating and calling uh, you know, comparing women to animals that would be used only for sex, you know, um, all these words and they're fun to say. And I love saying them and I'm, I'm really good at saying them. And I laugh when Dave Chappelle says them and I, you know what I'm saying? And it's, it's super hard when, you know, like it's hardcore when somebody says those words in a rap song, it's like, dang, you know, and I love the way that people play with them all the creative ways of saying them, you know what I mean? And it's it's amazing, you know, I'm not denying the power of them. And I even say them sometimes, but I just don't want them to be my default anymore because they're affecting people's hearts. Like I affect my heart and I'm also affecting other people's hearts. And it's like we want to fill our hearts with beautiful things, you know. Um, and so we're, we're a spirit, we're intellect. We're also, I'm sorry, we're a spirit and we, are, we have a heart. We're also an intellect. And so our intellect has to have a framing. And this is where theology comes in. And this is where ideology comes in. And this is where, like, when I disagree with somebody on an intellectual, ideological level, um, it's like, I understand. Part of being a human being is that a person's going to have framing and they're going to have language and they're going to have, you know, so... I might disagree with somebody's ideology or their, um, you know, you can get real harsh with this stuff. But I mean, some people have been indoctrinated. <laughs> and like, I, I, so I understand that too. Um, and all of us are susceptible to that because we have an intellect and intellects need a framework. They need a language, you know. So when people say, well, um, you know, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I understand where that comes from. I understand very sincerely and and seriously um, wanting to be uh, careful about claims to truth and things like that because those things can go really wrong. There's no doubt about that, no question. But we're going to have some kind of framework. Everybody does. Everybody believes something. Everybody believes that some things are true and other things aren't. Everybody believes that uh, some things are beautiful and good and are virtuous and other things are not. Uh, everybody believes something and everybody has a framework for describing what they believe. And if you don't have that and you're creating it, then all of the languages and all of the tools that you're using are from something or from somewhere. So that's really, that's really a trip too, to say, like, you know, like I'm going to construct my own worldview I think most of the time we don't realize how much influence others are having on us because the ones that influence the, us the most, we don't realize it. So my first demo tape, uh, 
writes a passage. You can listen to it if you want to. Um, but I can hear now, I'm like, oh, I, I, that was the last group of rappers, that MCs, hip-hop artists, that inspired me so much, influenced me so much that I didn't even realize how much I sounded like them. But it's, it's you know, Black Thought, Most Def, Yasin Bey, Talib Kweli, uh, Common. That's the group of artists that, those were the last ones that were really is so influential on me. That was in the late nineties. My, my demo tape came out in 2000. I made it in 99, but like they, that's the last group of artists that I sounded just like them. And there's even moments where I sound like, where I hear Jay-Z's influence on me, um, which would be after that, you know, but I mean, these, uh, we're, we're, we're all inspired. We're all influenced especially intellectually because we need frames so like the those were the people that framed the my approach for emceeing in that moment and prior to them i sounded like the revolutionary version of ice cube and prior to that i sounded like mostly like krs1 but i also sounded like there were times where i sounded like rakim or chuck d or big daddy kane and, you know, there's times where I sounded like Slick Rick and Melly Mel and Grandmaster Kaz and like, you know, all the way back to the, to them, you know, and, and, but all of them were influenced. So Grandmaster Kaz sounded like DJ Hollywood, you know, the way that DJ Hollywood did his voice. One, two. All right. You're rocking with so-and-so, so-and-so. And you hear Grandmaster Kaz, one of the first great, truly great MCs doing this with his voice. And that's from DJ Hollywood's influence of DJ Hollywood. So we don't even realize, but we're all influenced and impacted by somebody else's frame because that we are, we need our intellect to be engaged in what are doing, what we're doing. So our intellect relies on and depends on frameworks for us to operate within. Um, and so it's important to know that. And if we say like, okay, I'm going to be, spiritual but not religious what religion does is it does give us a framework that we can acknowledge and we say like okay this is the framework that i'm operating within and i think that that's really important you know but then the other the, then the other part of who we are so we're the spirit we're a heart we're intellect and we're an ego now the other thing that that makes this relatable is like sometimes people I don't I'm not on the same I'm not in the same intellectual place as them. We have different framings, we have different concepts, ideologies, things like that. Doctrines, we we view the world the the intellectual tools we use to engage the world are different. And I understand that that's one level of who we are as people and so for me what what I connect with is, I, I hope I connect with spirits, but mostly with hearts. When I talk about what hearts are, using our hearts for what hearts are for. It's like, all right, this person has a different intellectual frame or they have a different experience than me. And so much of my life is I deal with people that have different, I know their experience is different. And so they're relating to these ideas from their experience. But I look for like, what's the heart? Where's their heart at? Where's, where's this person's heart at? Because if I can connect to where, where their heart's at, then we got a real, a much deeper bond. So there's all kinds of people that I don't agree with everything they say or do. And there's some people I don't agree with much of what they say. And I'm genuinely okay with that. And I, I kind of 
enjoy it sometimes. You know, um, that's a lot of what that's a lot of what my work is about is connecting with people that we got different experiences. When I look in the audience and in my shows, I know a lot of those people don't have the experiences I have. So because of that, they don't have, we don't have the same framing, cognitive frames around things. We don't have the same perspective on things. And so my thing is to, I love them on a heart level. I'm talking about them like it's different than you, you listening to this. I love my, my audience on a heart level, on a human level. And I bond to them that bond with them that way. And honestly, when it comes to a lot of social things, it's like, man, I've had experiences that they haven't had. A lot of experiences in the world are really limiting. You know, um, they limit the perspective. You know, people who are seen, their group of people is seen as the default. You know, that like you're the blank canvas. You're the original default. Everybody else has is some kind of different thing that, that needs to be explained and understood. But you're not like that. And that's the dominant group in 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 uh, in the culture or in society. So the dominant group in society is white. And so people that are seen as white or see themselves as white, they don't really have to ever even think about, well, who am I? And they don't really have to answer for who they are until there's a conversation about race, which is why those conversations are so heavily avoided because it's like, well, why talk about, why make it about race? And like, well, actually the other races are aware of race all the time, especially, um, you know, black, the children of, the people of the African diaspora um, are, are acutely aware of that in almost every moment. Um unless they're in places that are totally black. You know what I mean? Which is why, I can't remember what musician said. Uh, he said to a white person, he said, when Beale Street, you know, the Beale Street in Memphis was like the, the home of, uh, you know, blues and certain types of music. He said, if you could be black on Beale Street for one night, you'd never want to be white again. You know, because just there's a joy... Uh, that there's just a relief sometimes that people have when they're usually seen as the other and then get in a, in a completely... So, they're, you know, and I'm really fortunate to have spent a lot of my life in all black spaces. And when I'm there, it's like, I, this isn't about me. If I'm, if I'm accepted here, if I'm allowed to be here, I just need to be grateful for that. You know what I mean? And I might even look for, should I leave? You know what I mean? Because that's an important thing. That's an important reality. And so if there's anybody there that, that I get this feeling of like, why are you here? It's like, well, maybe I shouldn't be here. Because I, I, I've witnessed enough and experienced and observed enough to know how important that is and how necessary it is. Um, but I know that a lot of my audience doesn't have that experience. And so there's just going to be viewpoints and framings and it's enough for me to connect with people on a heart level now and if people connect with me on a heart level especially coming from that side of things i'm going to say things that don't make sense to you right away and but if we're connected enough on a heart level it's like well let me hear this guy out you know i believe that he's being sincere so let me see what he's saying and let me see if there's something to this um so 
we got all these different things going on and and then we've all got an ego and our ego is just a problem our, there's our ego is not a healthy sense of self at all that actually comes from the spirit that can come from the heart that can come from our framing our intellectual framing but our ego is not a healthy sense of self our ego is obsessed with its individuality, with its identity, with its own importance, and with dominance, with domination. I need to be the most important person in the room. I need all the attention I need, or whatever it is, or I need to get the better of every whatever. It, it operates differently in each of us. We've each got egos that do different versions of the slimy, gross, disgusting stuff that egos do, but we all have an ego. That's the human condition. That's So that's who we are. And, you know, so to operate on that level is a really, and, and, and to have a full, broad kind of understanding of those things. And that's the other thing when people say that they're spiritual but not religious. Again, I really understand why people would feel that way. Um, because I know that what's happened, I believe, that what's happened when a person reaches that place is like, I have a spirit and I know that. And I have a heart and I know that. Um, you know, but to try to construct one's own or to try to chart one's own course, um, you know, A, so it takes, so, you know, religion as a whole is, uh, physical, mental, spiritual, hands, heart, head, um, theology, practice, and spirituality. The theology deals with what's true, the, the, the cognitive and intellectual framing. Um, the practice deals with what's good to do and what's not good to do, you know, right and wrong. Some might say ethics and things like that. Uh, and some might say even specific, you know, practice. Um, and then, or like a moral code or religious law, things like that. And then the spirituality, which deals with the internal reality of who we are. You know what I mean? That's that. That's less based on rules, and that's more based on um, other things. But it, you know, and so in Islam we have all three of those things. So if somebody's saying, "I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious," it's like okay, you, but you still have an intellect and an ego. So, uh, so like yes, you're a spirit and you're a heart, and so being spiritual tends to those two things, but the intellect and the ego are also there. So without, the, without a theological framework, we're going to have ideas about what's true and what's not that are still going to be influenced by others, and we're not going to have a framing for that. And so the question becomes, is there a framing that we do believe in and believe, like it is true to us? And um, for so many people that I encountered, it's like, okay, the intellectual framework of Islam makes a lot of sense to me. And this religion is very, is very beautiful to me. And so then it's kind of like, all right, <laughs> so do you want to be a Muslim? Because if you do, I will help, I will help people like, like that. It's like, man, I have taken that course and I loved it so much. It's the most valued thing to me. And, you know, I love helping people that are sincere and that I connect with. I don't connect with everybody. Not everybody connects with everybody. But the people that I connect with, I'm like, man, I will take this journey with you. And I'm, I'm here for you. And, you know, uh, and, but, you know, so there will be some intellectual framing. But then also, 
for, to be spiritual but not religious, the ego is still there. And the ego is always trying to trick me, all of us, into, into wanting stuff that's not good. That's part of the ego's job is like commanding us and fooling us and lie, like we lie to ourselves and think that because I want something, that means it's actually good. We have desires that are false desires, no doubt about it. And everybody knows that. You know what I mean? We have desires of all types. I want to eat a bunch of things that are bad for me. I want to say a bunch of things that are bad for, that are violating other people's rights. It feels so good to feel superior to other people. It feels so good to get in a group of people and talk mess about somebody else that's not here. And like how superior we are to them, how inferior they are to us, how crazy they are, how stupid they are. How That feels so good when you're doing it. But that's poisoning for that's poison for our hearts. It feels so good to have power over other people. It feels so good to judge other people. It feels so good to like remember all the bad things that other people have done. It feels really horrible to remember the bad things we've done. It feels really, it's not as fun. It's not yummy, you know. It's not sexy. It's not alluring. It's not tempting. Like that's really hard work, you know. And so there's all sorts of things that might feel, and we can even trick ourselves into thinking that things are positive. We can even trick our thing self into believing, like, you know, we don't necessarily know the difference between gluttony and self-care. It's so easy to say self-care and be like, well, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm eating my weight in pizza and ice cream and um you know i'm i'm spending 2 weeks in my bed with the curtains drawn and um you know whatever i'm not exercising and i'm you know consuming all this porn and whatever all this stuff and all this negative you know watching violence and reality tv and judging people and like you know i'm we can actually pour dump poison into our heart and into our life and because it feels we think it's pleasurable when we're doing it you know the foolish heart thinks that those things are pleasurable and in certain ways they, they definitely are you know but and we can call that self-care and we can actually convince ourselves that it's positive we can convince ourselves that intoxicate that intoxicants are positive we can convince ourselves that our addictions are actually self-care. And it's a fine line. You know what I mean? And it's not that's not to diss other people. Like I'm I'm probably there's probably a tinge of like judgment in what I'm saying. I'm talking about myself. I really am. Like we all do this. It's the human condition to do it. And so part of what having a code does, it says that no matter how good this thing and no matter how tempting certain things are, they're not good. Or what's most likely is that they're good mixed with bad. You know, what the Quran, what Allah says in the Quran about intoxicants is that there is some good in them, but that there's a lot of harm in them. But the harm outweighs the good, and so they're to be avoided. And the Prophet Muhammad followed up by saying, "Peace be upon him," said, "Anything that's intoxicating in a large amount is forbidden to us in a small amount." So you know, that's the Islamic approach to it. Now, of course. There are Muslims that are, you know, 
partake in intoxicants. Doesn't mean you're not a Muslim. It doesn't take you outside of Islam because you, you know, because you, uh, you know, want to be intoxicated. But it is something that we we just have a recognition that like these things are actually not good for us. So to not have a theology means well, what it doesn't mean that you don't have an intellect. So what's the intellect going to do? What's going to have to take on? You're going to take on somebody's influence and somebody's frames. And then even to the degree that you're that we're not. Uh, we're always impacted by our own ego and our ego is trying to deceive us and lie to us, you know. So where does that leave us in this conversation? Um, I originally signed on here with the intention that I was going to talk about self-improvement and things like that for the new year. And maybe I still will do that because like I'm, you know, I'm recording this a couple days after new year, but uh, I've already been talking for an hour and so I think I'm just going to leave it here. But you know, this this all is just a big. <laughs> I, I might I could call it a tangent, but um, it's a reminder, and it's really important to get back to home base. And so that's I guess what I ended up doing here. This all came from me just saying, "Thank you for listening," and if you wish us well, then we appreciate that. So uh, maybe we could say that ended up being the purpose of this talk is for me to get back to. This is th- these are the essential realities of life that I'm always coming back to and that I love to be reminded of and help remind others of that this is what we're all dealing with you know and um you know and it's such a humanizing thing too to also connect with other people that like when a person or even a whole group of people is in their ego you know you see a person destroying himself or you see a person with all of this negativity going on it's like man that's one of the things that happens with the human condition you know a person um that we all have the potential for that you know um and there's a statement that is in the quran that we come back to all the time that says inna lillahi inna means certainly lillahi means we come from god Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi, and certainly to him, raji'un, we return. So certainly we come from, from some will say from Allah we come into him, we return. From Allah we come, to Allah we return. And that's certainly a good way to say it. But it also means that um, some have said that it also translates to meaning this too will pass. Or... Uh, there's a, f- a phrase in Christianity that says, there but for the grace of God go I. So we see somebody experiencing the the, the depths of what the, you know, the low parts, the, the ugliness of what the human condition can be. It's like, that's a reflection of what's going on in us. Like we have all that potential inside us too, to be the worst of the worst. And then also that, and that's why it's so important to have examples of goodness. You know, uh, there's a, a a chapter in the Quran um, called Surat al-Teen, al-Teen, and it it deals with um, the fig and the olive, and it actually talks about Mount Sinai, which is in Palestine, in Palestine. Wa wa sinin. 
لقد خلقنا الإنسان في أحسن تقويم ثم so ثم رددناه أسفل سافينين so Allah says certainly we've created the human being in the best of all possible molds we've created the human being to be completely excellent and then after that the human being can has the potential to fall to the lowest of all things the human being can be the worst of all creation except for the people who are connected to uh, faith and connected to what's good and they do good so they believe good and they do good you know they they think the thoughts talk the talk and walk the walk they got the whole thing going on so maybe we be people like that but you know i was just in la and I, I had the really great benefit of going to Isla, which is in South Central LA. Now they say South LA, but South Central LA, right on Slauson. And these are it's a beautiful community. I love them so much. My friend, my brother Omar Regan, who's a Muslim comedian and actor and producer and writer and entrepreneur and dreamer and thinker and leader and just amazing man. He's going to be on the podcast soon, inshallah, Omar Regan. Um, and the imam there is a man named Jihad Safir. Um, and he's just beautiful, beautiful brother. And he was there. He's been trained, African-American imam, who's been trained in classical Islamic theology. And um, I just happened to be there the day after our L.A. show. Uh, we were there. And uh, so I went for their Sunday morning routine where they make, they do the, the brothers do the Sunday prayer to, or the morning prayer together early in the morning before dawn, right there in South Central LA. And then uh, there's a Quran circle where they also have what's called a Qadi, which is like a person who's been trained in the real ways, the authentic ways of reading, reciting the Quran. And so, you know, he's a Somali-American brother who's trained, you know, and so he's sitting and reading and you got this group of, you know, mostly American uh, African-American, but others too, sitting there reading the Quran together and learning how it's pronounced properly, recited properly. And so we got to do that. And then a theology course. And one of the things that Imam Jihad, Sheikh Jihad Safir was talking about, was that the the reality of what we believe about prophets and how important it is and how necessary it is that in Islam that we believe in prophets. And, you know, the purpose of that is to really insist on the goodness of what a human being is, the goodness that lives in all human beings. What we see in prophets is a human being in their truest form and picture. You know, all of us that are not prophets, you know, we have this reality that we could fall to the lowest of the low. We could be overtaken by our ego. Our intellect can be uh, founded on things that are really faulty. Our hearts can be poisoned. And so our spirit is really kind of in the back. Our, our spirit is in the background. Our spirit is on the bottom of our, of our pyramid, you know, of our hierarchy of self, you know. Our spirit can be pushed to the bottom. And our ego can be, a, can be the king and the ruler, you know. And we really don't want that. So, and it, so it's important for us to see when people go all, almost all the way wrong. Like that is important for us to know that like I have that potential in me, but it's also good to have prophets and the prophets actually show us the best of our nature, the best of our potential, you know, 
And when we have a, a an intellectual framework that says there's no such thing as an all the way good person, there's you know th- that actually frames the human being as like well our ego is the truest self. That's that's the that's the realest part of who we are. And like no, I'm sorry, the spirit is the realest part of who we are. And even if a person goes all the way off, there's still a spirit in there, you know. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was sitting with the companions in Medina and there was a, somebody carried a funeral procession came by him. And the Prophet Muhammad stood up and the person was like, no, that person wasn't even Muslim. And was like, you know, and he said, but that was a soul. Like that was a soul that lived in that body. And I'm honoring the fact that there was a spirit, a soul that lived in that body. There was a spirit in there. And one of the verses in the Quran says, "Qad karamna bani Adam." God, the Creator, Allah says, "I've given a certain level of nobility to the entire tribe of Adam. The entire tribe, the whole human family, has a certain nobility, is noble, and that's what it is to have faith. To us, to the Muslims, it's like that's who, that's the realest me. My spirit is my realest me, and my ego is my fakest me." And, and what the prophets show is what it looks like for a human being to be the realest, most beautiful picture of what a human being is. You know, and I was thinking about the fact that even in this culture, we used to have superheroes and those superheroes were like prophets, like they were good. They're the, and it doesn't mean that they're not human. So what we're, um, you know, being reminded of in this theology class that Imam Jihad was, taught, was teaching was that... The prophets, it, what's necessary for the prophets is that they're truthful and they're good and they're noble and they're, they're people of goodness. What's impossible for the prophets is that they would lie or that they would be an ignorant, an, like an ignoramus or that they would be people of treachery and low character. What's possible for them is human emotion. So it's possible, like, yes, a pr- prophets are going to have human experiences. They're going to have a type of anger. They're going to have needs. They're going to have, um, you know, but they're not going to be overtaken by those things so that their hearts become, excuse me, consumed by those things. That's in the theology of Islam. That's what we believe about prophets. That's, and there's more to it. But So they are going to experience human experiences, but they will never be overtaken by those things so that they become corrupted by them, by an imbalance in those areas. So their anger is going to be righteous anger. They don't get angry because you slight them. They, be, they get angry because you oppress others. And that's righteous anger. And that righteous anger, when it's tamed and when it's trained, is going to become courage. We have to have courage. It's courageous in this moment. Like, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the courage that I, I find in myself to insist that the Palestinians are human beings that have the right for freedom and that have the right for self-determination and have the, all of the human rights that everybody has and that it's wrong to oppress them. You know, that takes a type of courage, especially because in the industry I'm in, I, I'm not going to go into it right now. I've, I've only referenced it. I have not started talking about what I'm experiencing in this moment. But there are people who have the ability to have in their mind, and in a worldly sense, power over my career. Uh, they, these are people that make decisions about 
things that I've really depend on for my livelihood. And they don't want me to say what I say about the Palestinians. Um, and, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. Inna lillahi. I come from God. Wa inna ilayhi raji'un. And that's who I will return to. And, you know, the same thing is true of my provisions. Allah doesn't need uh, hip-hop shows and tours to take care of my family. Allah is the one that takes care of my family. I'm blessed to be in a position to be able to do it. I'm intensely grateful to be able to feed my babies. Um, I'm not better than a lot of people who can't feed their babies. I'm intensely grateful to have four children, aging from four years old to 23 years old. And I've been able to feed them their whole lives, uh, except for my oldest one, my son. Uh, um, you know, he, He's always been fed, but this first three years was from me working at UPS. <laughs> <laughs> and all kind of other jobs and stocking shelves and all kind of stuff. But for most of his life, you know, and um, I've been married twice for a total of 30 years. And I'm, I'm grateful I've been able to take care of those women and to be able to provide for them. I'm grateful for that. And for 20 of those years, 21 of those years, this this is my, I'm entering my 22nd year now of doing what I do for a living. I'm very grateful for that. But a lot of but Allah is the one providing for us and for them. And Allah doesn't need rap shows or um, you know, things that people that Allah doesn't need this career to be able to take care of us. You know, and Allah doesn't need Allah is the one that's blessing it all. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. So if if these particular blessings that I've been given, if Allah takes them back, that that's His right to do that, and I'm happy with whatever Allah writes, and I will not be silenced by the people who are very intentionally threatening me and pulling away from me, and you know, and in their mind, they're like, I hold the keys to this thing, you know, and I'm not going to do these things for Brother Ali anymore because you know i don't want i don't want to uh you know talking about the palestinians and all this kind of stuff and it's like man i find courage in myself and i'm grateful for that and because i have righteous anger at what's being done to all oppressed people um you know and and my leaders and my teachers are the same way you know imam omar suleiman you see righteous anger but he had the same righteous anger when people were trying to uh, threatened the Jewish community in Texas where he lives. And his righteous anger and his courage led him there to physically with his body say like, no, you're not going to, you know. Or when there were mass shootings and things like that. And I mean, he's been there for everybody. Everybody that's oppressed, you know. Uh, he was there when they were trying to keep, uh, you know, to to attack indigenous people's water supplies. And when they, you know, and when they were, uh, you know, you know, kids in cages at the border and things like that, he's been there in all of these causes, and that's something that I feel proud about. I feel proud that Muslim leaders do things like that. Imam Zaid Shakir is another one, you know, uh, and Imam Omar Suleiman is a Palestinian, and Rami Neshashibi, uh, the head of Iman in Chicago, um. You know, Rami Neshashibi is a Palestinian-American who does organizing and activism work that's really incredible. And he's Palestinian-American. And one of the things that he, one of the truths that he has told and things that he has spoke, stood up about is the, are the Palestinian 
store owners in the black community on the south side of Chicago where he does his work. And him saying, we cannot sell alcohol, blunt wraps, and bad processed food in these black neighborhoods. We are the oppressors in this case. When we do that, we're being oppressors. And we're, we're going against our own religion. You can't sell, in Islam, you can't sell somebody something that you don't want. So if I don't eat, you know, if I don't eat uh, processed, you know, potted meat and processed foods, I can't sell that to somebody else. I got to sell somebody something I would feel good feeding to myself and my own children. I can't sell your children chips and not have fruit here and not have vegetables here. And so Rami Neshashibi as a Palestinian-American uh, organizer has a thing, you know, talking about, uh, you know, having fresh food in the hood with, and started in his own community with those Palestinian American store owners. These are the kind of people, this is what Islam does when it's really understood in its proper text. And I'm very proud to be with people like that. And Imam Omar Suleiman is a Palestinian American Imam that's highly revered and respected. And we'll talk about the you know the racism in in his own community in America in particular and say like how come you say it's so hard to find good spouses for your children but your children have grown up in America and like if they want to marry a black man for example a con black convert to Islam and maybe he was formerly incarcerated but he's a good man and he's a good Muslim and he loves your daughter and he wants to provide for her and he wants to be with her and be her partner and you know, help her and and be part of your family. Why do you why do you act like he's not a good potential mate? So telling the truth within these are the kind of people that I love, you know. And along similar lines, in this particular moment, I mean, some of the greatest voices for truth telling about the colonial project are coming from Jewish people, you know, and they're being called anti-Semitic. They're being called, you know, self-hating Jews. And like some of those people are, uh, you know, I identify with them very, very deeply because also part of what Islam, you know, the Quran says, stand out firmly for justice as a witness before God, especially against yourself and your ancestors and your tribe and your people. And don't let your personal inclinations and your personal preferences sway you from doing justice. And if you do, you have to know that Allah is watching you. And at the end of all of this, you, you know, we're going to be accountable for all of these things that we've done and all these things that we've not done. You know, so I'm really grateful that my spiritual tradition, you know, there we look at the other our our cousin religions, and these are gross oversimplification so forgive me because i know that but there are people who believe that they are the chosen people of god no matter what and they're that the only chosen people and allah says in the quran that's their wishful thinking they have a they're a special people no doubt very special people no question like no one can ever deny that you know just like the most racist people on earth would not deny that malcolm x was amazing um you know there was a, a neo-nazi leader named Rockwell during, that lived in the 60s. And he's, he praised Malcolm X. He said, man, he's so intelligent. He's so wise. He's so... And he said, well, you know, Malcolm X is a quarter white. 
his mother was the product of um, a white man raping a black woman. You know, so his mother, Malcolm X's mother, was very light. And um, and so, you know, Malcolm was, a quarter of his blood was white. That's why he, he was very light-skinned. He had reddish hair. And George Lincoln Rockwell, this neo-Nazi in the 60s, said, well, that's why Malcolm is so smart and speaks so well, because he is a quarter white. So it's like, <laughs> you know, some people are so great that everybody wants to claim them, but you can't deny their greatness. And even true and true white supremacist anti-Semites, they wouldn't deny uh, that the Jewish community, that they're a very special people. I mean, no one denies that. You know, it's just that they believe, um, you know, uh, these white supremacist anti-Semites believe that the Jewish community uses all of their gifts um, to harm others. And I just know that that's not true. Like, that's a lie. That's a, that's a very deep lie. Um, you know, so there's no denying that, that the Jewish community are very, very special people. But the idea that somebody is saved and chosen forever and that no matter what they do and no matter that's just not the way that the muslims understand the relationship with the divine with the creator and the gross oversimplification about our christian family is that um you know that religion would be the only one that leads to salvation now that's a very specific both of these are very specific um opinions and 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 beliefs within the community and neither community are monolithic but that's a, these are very prevalent feelings, you know, that if, if you accept the certain doctrine of Christianity, then you're forgiven for everything no matter what, and you will be, you'll be in paradise, you'll be with God. And that's the only way to be with God. Um, all, all others are rejected. And the Quran says about both those ideas that that's wishful thinking and warns the Muslims not to have those kind of feelings that like just because you belong to a certain community and have a certain type of, you know, language or say a certain type of prayers, it doesn't mean that you automatically because you might be insincere and worse, what's seen as worse than being in a different religion or to not be a believer at all is to be a Muslim and be a hypocrite, to be a person who claims Islam, uh, but actually doesn't doesn't believe it in their heart. And one of the greatest companions that a Prophet Muhammad was Omar, who everybody named Omar all over the world. You know, the the Muslims um, governed Spain and Portugal, the Iberian Peninsula, for thousands of years. And a lot of the names and words in Spanish and in the Romantic languages come from Arabic. <clears throat> and the name Omar, even you know, even Spanish-speaking homies that are named Omar, that all comes from this companion of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, Omar. So everybody named Omar is named after Omar, the companion of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And he was a int very intense man, and he was very strong-willed, and he was very sincere. You know, the Prophet Muhammad said. If Omar goes walks on a road, the devil walks on a different road. He was very powerful, and he was a, a really big, big man, like like Shaq. You know, uh, it was said that when he tried to ride a horse, his feet would drag on the floor. Like he was an enormous man, 
But he was also very sweet and very loving and extremely sincere. And one of the things is that the Prophet Muhammad was actually, peace be upon him, was told who were the hypocrites amongst his community that were living at that time. There were people who were hypocrites, and the Prophet, peace be upon him, knew them by name. And he told one of his companions, he said, you can never tell anybody this, but I want somebody to know the names of those people. And so he told them their names. And Omar, who is one of the most sincere people in the world, used to go to him on a regular basis and shake him physically and say, I demand you tell me, am I on that list? Because he would he would accuse himself so much, His part of his sincerity. But one of the marks of sincerity is that somebody has what they call nefsaliwama. So the nefs or the ego has stages. So nefsal amara is the lowest stage of the ego. So the, the lowest soul, the lowest self, which is the self that just commands us to do evil. And then we have nefsaliwama, which is the middle phase. And that middle phase is the self-accusing soul, the one that takes holds oneself accountable and is always looking for like, okay, but where am I off base? Where, how am I wrong in this? Where are my faults? You know, and um, I think it was Reinhold Niebuhr, a great like Christian philosopher in Europe. Niebuhr, I think is his name. Forgive me. Chris Hedges quotes him all the time. Cornell West quotes him all the time. Uh, what's his name? Um, the the father of Black liberation theology, Dr. James Cone. May, uh, may he rest in peace. He he would quote him and things. But one of the things he said is, we've got to oppose. Um, the falsehood of our opponents, but we've also got to f find the falsehood in our own truth. <laughs> I, I can't remember. Oh, yeah, we've got to find the falsehood in our own truth. And basically, like our, we've got to always be looking for the fault, our own faults. I didn't quote that very well at all, and I can't even remember his name properly. I'd stick to what you know, Ali. <laughs> but I, there's a really dope quote that I could go and find. Um, but we've got to look for and be aware of our own inconsistencies and our own, honestly, little bits of hypocrisy and insincerity. Hypocrisy is when insincerity takes over, you know, where it's all performative and it's all transactional. So may Allah make us sincere. But, you know, in Islam, we don't think that that heaven and God and goodness and glory are only for Muslims. We're told that very clearly throughout the Quran and we're warned against that. And we also don't believe that Muslims aren't punished. Um, we don't believe that like he hell is only for, for others and heaven is only for us. We don't believe that. Um, and it's one of the things about this religion that makes me know that it's true. And my wife, for example, came up in Catholicism. She's Puerto Rican. Her grandmother was somebody that we all love deeply and dearly. Like we name, we've named our daughters after women in her family, but especially her grandmother. And um, yeah, amazing woman. She was somebody that served to the priests and stuff in, in her church. And when I first met my wife, they said, you got to go meet Abuela. They're Puerto Rican, so they're like, you know, Abuela, she, not, she doesn't like anybody's boyfriend or husband or whatever. She doesn't like any. And 
she always would say like, don't marry a white man. <laughs> and you have to marry a Catholic. These are the three things that everybody knew in the family about Abuela. It's, all, it's a bunch of women in the family. And they're like, Abuela says, you have to marry a Catholic. Um, and she didn't, she didn't trust anybody's boyfriends in general. She didn't trust men in general and never marry a white man. So I'm like, okay, here I come, you know, uh, not only of European background, but also albino. And I'm also coming in here as a Muslim. And I met her, and she just, from the second I walked through the door in her house, oh, man, she died. This is going to get me. Man, the second I walked in her house, she just came and got me, and she sat me down in her favorite chair, and then she just started feeding me. The second I came in there, she just started giving me stuff. Here's an orange. <laughs> How come you're not eating it? So she would peel it and break it in pieces and here here's the here, you know here's this and here's uh, you know and, and I, I don't have this but here you know just started feeding me and was just so sweet to me and she didn't even speak english that was the other part she didn't really speak english and so well I'm just, I'm just sitting there talking to her and we're just you know smiling at each other and she just kept she would walk up and just kind of rest her hand on me and stuff and then um and then she told the people asked her later my wife's mom asked her later, and people, and like the women in the family, what'd you think of Ali? And she said, no, he's a good Catholic. And they were saying, she lived in Spanish Harlem. There's a big mosque on, oh man, I think it's 96th Street. It's either 96 or 98. No, 96th Street in Spanish Harlem. There's a big mosque that you could see. She lived in the projects in Spanish Harlem, and you could see the mosque from her window. And they were like, no, abuela. Ali prays there. He does. He's not Catholic. And she was like, no, no, he's a good Catholic. And in my mind, that's her saying, we both believe in, we believe in God. And that's very special to me, you know? Um, and my wife, when I met her, like she was just so good that I'd never said a word to her about being a Muslim, you know, because I didn't, I don't want anybody to feel like people that I love who aren't Muslim, this is the part where I cry. I don't want them to feel like I'm holding out some sort of love for them. Like, you know, I, I love you with, with most of my heart, but I got this little part that's holding out for you becoming Muslim. Then I'll love you all the way. I want the people I love to know I love them. But there is something very, very special, you know, about Islam. And it's the most special thing to me. And when people, I, and I want it for all the people I love, for everybody I love, I want Islam for them. But I also know that like I'm, I'm always focused on improving and doing better. And uh, one of my big flaws is that I sometimes make people feel like they're not good enough. What they're doing and how they're doing it and who they are now isn't good enough because I'm so focused on improving. And there's, there's something in there for me that I really need to work out and figure out. Because the Prophet Muhammad wasn't like that, peace be upon him. He made people know that they were loved and accepted. And he could also really inspire them at the same time without dissing them or making them feel like they're not good enough or something. And that's, that's a prophetic quality that I want so bad and I don't have it yet. Um, you know, so I never said a word about it to my wife. And a couple of things happened. She went to an event that Rami Neshashibi put together in Chicago called Taking It to the Streets. 
and there was a bunch of hip hop people there. I performed. Jurassic Five was there. I don't remember which year is which, but I mean, Yasin played it, Most Def played it, Tyler Kweli played it, Rakim played it. I don't remember which year is which, but I do know that this particular year, a number of Muslim leaders were there. Imam Zaid Shakir was there, Hamza Yusuf was there, a bunch of people were there. Uh, um, uh, um, Siraj, Imam Siraj Wahaj from Brooklyn was there. All these great people. And Imam Morsi Muhammad was there, who was, that's the particular community that I converted in. He was my leader, and I loved him so much. And that's the last time that I saw him alive. And, you know, I saw him in dreams after that, that I believe are real and have meaning, you know. But, I, but that was the last time I saw him alive. And I wish it was a better meeting about me because he talked to me about my music and he said i love your music and rami nashashibi came and introduced me and said brother imam imam worthy muhammad the son of elijah muhammad he said this is one of our great famous rappers and imam muhammad like i don't know if rami knew that i had a certain type of relationship with imam muhammad and he looked at me and said him he's like man nah he this is this is my guy he was like this ain't no rapper this is my guy and he's and he's like i know you do rap and he said, I like your rap. He's an elder man, so he doesn't say, you know. He said, I like your rap. But he's like, I don't like all the words you use, but I love the ideas. Like, I love the thing. I love the points you're making. This is only Shadows on the Sun was out. So he had heard Shadows on the Sun and things. And he said, I don't like all the words you use. And he said, you're using such, you have such beautiful ideas, but you're using such ugly words to try to convey it. And I told him all my reasons for that and everything. And he said, okay. He, you know, he could do what I'm talking about, where make you want to be better, but while letting you know that you are completely valued and loved. Uh, he said, you know, you understand things that I don't. You're, you're in your world, and I'm not, I don't know your world like you know it. But he said, you know when you're in your Islamic character and when you're not. And you don't need anybody to tell you which is which and what's what. And I said, damn, man, that's such, a, that's such a heavy thing to lay on me because in my heart, I knew that there were things that I was doing and saying that weren't the best. And, and um, you know, it was several years later that I actually was like, you know what? I'm not talking like this anymore. Not as the default. There's still sometimes I say stuff and, you know, but like, it's not going to be the default that I always talk like this. And... um you know, but he met my wife and my wife wasn't Muslim yet. And he met her and he said, you got to. He said, you got a good man here. He said, I'll never forget this as long as I live. He said, you got a good, you got a good man here. He said, but you already know that, don't you? And she said, yeah. And she said that was the day that she decided to be Muslim. But before that, she knew that she thought Islam was very special because the first year that she came to live with us, um, we got to Ramadan. And she already respected Islam. Like when I would recite the Quran and stuff, she would be like, I love when you do that. You know what I mean? And sometimes she would be like, you know, she would say, say something from the Quran, recite something from the Quran. She would just ask me to recite, you know? And, um, 
And she was just saying, like, oh, yeah, I love that. And um, so we got to Ramadan. First we hit Christmas. And she was like, oh, no Christmas tree. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Well, like, you know, I said, if you want to go home to your family, like, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll help you get home to your family if you want to be with your family for Christmas. But I'm sorry, we, I, we can't do that in this house. And I, I think I even offered to go with her. Um, but she was like, no, that's okay. But then, so when it, when Ramadan came around, that was so, you know, that was, we, that was the next, uh, spring. She said, can I fast with you? And I said, yeah. And she said, you know, when you pray, can I pray? And, you know, in Ramadan, we read a 30th of the Quran every day. And in the second chapter of the Quran, Allah says that the Christians and the Jews and Allah mentions other religions, he said, among them are people who are true believers and they do good and they have a reward with their Lord. And she said, I have never seen a religion that straight up recognizes that other people's relationship with God is valid and that they actually have a, you know, she came from Catholicism, which, you know, not to, uh, Catholicism is what it is. It stands on its own as its own thing. But Catholicism was a part of a lot of people's oppression. And it was a part of colonialism. And, you know, and her coming from Puerto Rico, it's like, that's not untrue. And we can hold that idea and also know that when Abuela says Ali is a good Catholic, you know, I, I, I say that me and Abuela, we both love God. And I would... I would love to love God the way Abuela love God, you know. That's why we, like, our daughters, like, have her names as part of their names, you know. Um, but I, I'm, you know, it's, yeah. You know, in my mind, I was like, I, I'm gonna, I got this point that I'm going to end on. And I think there's nothing... I don't think that that point is better than sitting here just crying about loving all these beautiful people. So I'm going to leave it at that. Um, we got sponsors and stuff. You already know who they are. Um, we got a website. It's brotherali.com. Um, yeah. Like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. And we love you a lot, inshallah. And inshallah, we'll see you. Uh, we'll talk again next week. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.